Well, thank you, Brother Paul, so much for the invitation to be part of this great conference. It's one of my favorite conferences because you uh, gentlemen are so thrilled with God's Word, and I love the way we sing. You know, most of us in our other cultures, we are so focused and so so dead when we sing, but we come here, <laughs> and things, uh, things change, so we are so thankful to God. And then you gentlemen are so receptive to God's Word. You... Uh, Remind me of a hungry man who's just come to the table to eat and you're ready to partake of God's word. And so it's easy for us preachers to preach to you guys because you love God's word and you love preaching. So we are, I'm, I just feel honored. And to be part of this uh, group of men that are speaking this morning, what a marvelous, marvelous selection of, of men we have to share God's word. And so we uh, feel honored to be with you and it's a real joy for me to share with you. You know, we... Um, <clears throat> The other day, somebody came up and said, you know, Pastor, I had a dream last night. And um, uh, in this dream, God spoke to me. And I wanted to know, is this, is this the way it works? Does God, God use dreams to speak? And I said, I, I really don't know. Sometimes you have chile verde at night, and it does affect the way you, the way you sleep. And so uh, I'm not so sure. But, you know, sometimes you do have dreams. I had a dream you know, whenever you preach, some preachers like are always real comfortable when they preach. I always get nervous when I preach. And so sometimes I have a dream at night about the conference. And I had a dream last night about this conference. And I was, we were, we were all, I was in a ladder. We had a, a lot of guys on ladders. We're going up the ladders and we're, we're marking along the way. We're marking all of our sins. Every sin we committed, we're making a, making a mark. Had a mark or making a mark. And there was a ladder next to me. And there was nobody on that ladder, but there were a lot of marks as he went up. And then as I looked up in my dream, this, this man was coming down, and it was Anthony Kidd. Dr. Kidd was coming down. <laughs> and I said, I said, Anthony, are you done? He said, no, I'm going down for another marker. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I don't know what that dream means, my brother. I just... Must be something there, you know. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's a great, great to be here, isn't it? Yeah, we uh, you feel right at home here, you know. And I look at this crowd and I see that God has done some marvelous transformation of lives. Yeah, marvelous transformation of lives. So we were before what we are now, isn't it? Great, great stuff, you know. Reminds me of the story of these two uh, homeboys, these two uh, gangbangers that driving down the street in their little rider, and they happened to pass by a church, and they said, let's check it out. So they got out, and they went into this church, and, and the guy was preaching away, and, and that night they got saved. And both of them repented of their sins, and they came out. Wow. Got him back into the low rider, started driving down the boulevard, and this guy runs a stoplight and, and rams the car and kills them both. And next scene, they're approaching approaching the pearly gates, and they meet, they meet Peter there, Apostle Peter. And they say, wow. He says, yeah, we're here. Is there a chance that we could, we could talk to the Lord Jesus? And so Peter said, well, let me, let me check. So he went in, and he, he asked, uh, he asked uh, Lord, there's a couple of fellows out here who'd like to talk to you. Sure, bring them in, bring them in. So he went out, and then he came back in. He, says, he said, Lord Jesus... They're gone. They're gone? He says, yeah. The men are gone? No, the pearly gates are gone. 
That's the crowd here, you know. The crowd here. You got your Bibles? Show me, show me your Bibles. Show me your Bible. Okay, all right. Go to first, first Timothy chapter three, please. Chapter three of First Timothy. Our text, our text is a marvelous text. Marvelous text. Chapter three of First Timothy. Doctor Felix already read the section in Titus. It is a trustworthy statement, verse 1. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to much wine or to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil." Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of, of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons as they are, if they are beyond reproach. Women, likewise, uh, must, must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Our Father, we ask you that you take your word and instruct us this morning. We are men seated here before you, all of us, and we would pray that you would open open your word to us and apply these these standards to our lives, that we would indeed be men of God, not in appearance only, but truly from within and without, men of God. So we're here this morning to have you speak to us. We ask it all for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our Lord has given us a marvelous, marvelous theme for this Saturday morning, men of God. And I've been asked to speak on the topic of above reproach. Above reproach applied to not only elders, but also deacons. Above reproach, beyond reproach. Words that have to do with one being irreproachable, not open to attack or criticism. And none of us, these None of us would ever be open to a fault that we have in our lives. To be beyond reproach means to be absolutely blameless. And so these requirements that are given here primarily for the office of overseer and the office of deacon. Let Let me treat this topic of beyond reproach, first of all, by making some general observations about the whole passage Oftentimes we lose the forest for the trees. We're going to be involved in the trees for the rest of the seminars and their session. 
but particular, particular items in the text. But let me for a few moments just talk about the forest, the observation, and then, uh, and then, and then group, secondly group these uh, different attributes into four different categories, and then, well, and then finally make an application to us in the uh, way of being above reproach and being, uh, being beyond reproach. First of all, some general observations about this passage of scripture. For us to be, uh, it be clear as we see the forest, not just the trees. First and foremost, that there's these, all these traits that we have just read, they are by all means Christian qualities. If you were to take the Bible, take the Word of God, and just go through and identify Christian qualities, you realize that this, this grocery list of attributes and, char- and, and, and character qualities are those that apply to every single believer in Christ both men and women, everyone that knows Christ, they apply to them. It's important to note that because oftentimes in our church we play little games. As it is say, you know, Pastor, these things apply to you, but not to me. The fact that you need to be above reproach, that you need to be like this, like that. Well, that's you because you're the pastor. That's your calling, but that's, that's not me. And you're wrong because that applies to everybody. These qualities you find everywhere in Scripture applying to everyone that trusts and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior. So we need to just lay that out. We're not talking about pastors today. We're not talking about elders or deacons. We're talking about men, Christian men, yes or no? And that's all of us here that know Christ as Savior. Amen? We're talking about all of us here. Secondly, these are required qualities. If If you're a pastor or a deacon, if you're a bishop or a deacon, if you're an elder or a deacon, these are must qualities, must qualities. That's a standard to be met. Not just something to be aimed at, but something to be met. Either you qualify or you don't. Either you're six feet or you're not. You talk to me? Six feet or you can't be 5'11". It's got to be what? Six feet. You either meet these qualities or you don't. And so we were, we're selecting pastors, selecting deacons for our churches. These are qualities that need to be met. They must be irreproachable, blameless when it comes to these things. And they're not just relative. Well, I'm a, yeah, we're going to pick the best man in the church. He's the, the guy that's better than everybody else. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. Not what he's talking about. Not just the best guy in the crowd. He's got to meet the standards. Either you meet him, what? Or you don't. And if you meet them, you qualify. And if you don't, you don't. It's important for us to note that. We have, we have churches so desperate for men. Anybody that wears pants, they will pick anybody. You know, if he, if he wears pants and he looks like a man, let's get him and put him, make, let's make him a deacon or make him an elder. That's not the way we do things. These are requirements to be made, required qualities. May I also say concerning these qualities, they are, all, they are current qualities. Current qualities. This is not what you were in the past. Because all of us have stuff in the past. Do we not? All of us do. There's a few exceptions like, you know, Dr. Paul Felix. He has nothing in the past. <laughs> but then all the rest of us, we have, we have our baggage. Even the Apostle Paul had his baggage. He was a, a blasphemer. He was a violent aggressor. He agreed, to, he agreed to putting people to death. He had a sordid past. Not talking about what you were in the past. 
It's what you are in the present. It's important for us to note that. There's been a transformation of our lives. God has done a work in our hearts, in our lives, and he has changed us. We are different now than what we were in the past. Because oftentimes as we start to investigate men qualified for ministry, qualified for office, we like to go way, way, way to the past and find out what they were. That's not the point here. These are what they are now. What they are now, these are current qualities, what they are now present in their faith and walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. May I also say that these are habitual qualities. This is his walk, his walk. In the Bible, the word of God is so clear because it uses the word walk as a way to describe your life. Because everyone has a walk. We all have a way, a habit of living, a habit of walking. And so I have a walk and you have a walk. And that, that walk is your life. It's your habit. When we look at these character qualities, these are character qualities. Things that are part of your life. Stuff that you have become. This is why as you read through the text, he talks about the presbyteros. Or the man, the, the mature man. The elder. An elder usually back in those days was the old guy. He's been around the block a few times. He's had, he's had a track record of living versus the neophytos, the new convert, the newly planted one that just kind of just came into, the, came into the scene, hasn't quite developed the habits that he ought to be having. And so when we talk about these qualities here, they are, they are stuff that has become ingrained in our lives. This is how we live. This is our pattern of life, pattern of life. Where someone says about you when they hear a story about you, you, did you know about so-and-so that he did this or he did that? He says, no, that man would never do that. That is not him. That is not how he lives. That is not my husband. He would never do that. Because your track record is such that even your closest friends and your family and your wife and your children, they know you. They know that you would never do that. So he's talking about a habit, a walk. These become ingrained qualities in our lives. And so it's good for us to be here because we want these to be our habits. Yes or no? We want to become these kinds of men. We want to be able to be formed and fashioned into these, this man that God is talking about in these chapters. May I also add that these are what I call manly qualities. Manly qualities. These are very masculine qualities that the apostle here is addressing. We have, we have no, no reservation in saying that pastors and pastors need to be men. The office of pastor is not designed for women, designed for men. And it's, and so these are manly qualities that God lays out. When God fashioned, when God fashioned the church, he fashioned the church on the institution of the family. The family is the first institution of the human race. And it has never, ever been annulled. It is still the focus institution of everything. And when God fashioned the church, he fashioned the church around the institution of the family. And so the man is key. The father is key. The husband is key. These then are manly qualities. And so it is, it is appropriate for us then this morning that we then as men must man up. Yes or no? We must man up. Man up. And so 
We are going to be challenged today, especially as we just examine the trees in the forest with these great scholars that are going to be addressing us. We're going to be talking about specifics for us of things that have to do with, with men. Because, you know, we need to realize, gentlemen, that for many of our churches, they're run by women. You know, that's why they're even taking over the pulpit because we don't have enough men qualified. And so they, some by default, well, you know, there's no men to preach, so I'm taking over. That's no excuse. But the fact is that we need to man up. Yes or no? We need to man up. We need to have our churches, our churches that in such a way are, are framed around, around a man. So these are manly qualities that God's going to be addressing. In our culture, we have a, we have this whole, this whole attitude of trying to, to, to uh, emasculate men, to remove this whole manly quality about them. Uh, I've heard about a reputable high, school of higher learning. They don't want to address any of the things that have to do with men. Even in our families, we are raising little sissies as boys. You know, we dress them with long hair. We, we got to be dainty, and you can't, you can't, you can't hurt. You can't climb trees. You know, all of our you know, remember in the old days, in the old days in the, in the playgrounds, you know, the monkey bars, remember that? They're as high as this building, you know, They're way out there, remember that? You climb the monkey bars, you know, you climb the market bars, and then you'd, if you're, you're kind of dumb, you'd fall off and go all the way down and wham, you know, and yeah, you just get up and keep on going. And nowadays we run, there are no monkey bars. And so the issue is we need to realize that these are manly qualities. And notice also, secondly, that as you read through this list, included here in chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, they are holistic qualities. They're designed to produce a man of God. They speak about the man of God, a man who's devoted to God, to produce godliness. There is a, a, a special word that... Paul loves to use. Now, Peter uses it. Luke uses it. But the majority of the time is used by the Apostle Paul. Eusebia. It's a word that we translate godliness. Godliness. It's a word that implies his inner devotion to God with a visible expression as he operates and he lives in the world. Godliness. When you look at these qualities that are related to us here, they talk about the whole man. The whole man. Not just part of the man, but the whole man. And so there, there are holistic qualities. For example, number one, he addresses personal traits. He gets down to the nitty-gritty of talking about the individual man. And if you go through and identify these different qualities, many of those are talking about who he is as a man. Just who you are as a man. Look in the mirror, and that's who I am. The personal qualities he is above all things a pious man. He even uses the word in Titus, hasias, to talk about a man that's holy. A man that's holy. And through and through he has a great love for God. Devoted to God. God is all. God is his all. It's his main thing. He's a man devoted to God. And so he's above all things a pious man. And the word piety not only is the inward devotion to God, but it's also the, how you carry out your life. Piety is looking at the man, and the man not only he professes to be godly, 
He is godly on the outside. On the outside, whatever he does, you realize that this man is really devoted to God. Is evident in the way that he lives. See, in today's culture, we look, we try to distinguish between the inside and then the outside. And we sometimes separate them. The man of God doesn't do that. What he is on the inside, he reflects on the outside. Yes or no? If he, if he, if he loves the book, follow me. If he loves the book, he carries the book. Hmm? Yes or no? If he loves the book, he reads the book. Talk to me now. You see, if he loves the book, he's going to put the book into practice. That's the holy man. So this man is pious. This man is also, he's also a disciplined man. A disciplined man. It's amazing when you begin to read the qualities that he's talking about. A man who's under control. He has his life under control. You begin to read, for example, in in, uh, in verse 2 of the text, where he begins to say the man must be above reproach, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable. Verse 3, not addicted to wine, not nor pugnacious. He must be gentle, must be free from the love of what? Money. All those talk about a man who's under control. He's a disciplined man in mind in body, in desires, in habits, in money, is a man who's really totally in his own life, totally control, control of his life, that God has control of this man's life. A disciplined man. Gentlemen, we live in a time today where we have, we have lost our discipline. We have lost our discipline. And we need to get back to that. We have a culture that is out of control. Where our men are out of control, totally out of control. And there's a need then for us as men to understand that God is addressing here these qualities that have to do with a man who is disciplined in his mind, in his, in his desires, in how he, how he accomplishes his life. He uses all these different terms. Cosme on the word respectable is a man that is orderly, he's organized. His life is a well-organized life. And so, talking about these personal traits that God has laid on before us. He's a, secondly, familial traits. Talks about his family. We'll be addressing those in particular as it comes along. But he, he has, first of all and foremost of all, a loyal, loving, leading husband. That's what he is. Twice for elders. Husband of one wife. For deacons, a one-woman man. That's what they are. He's a man that has one woman. He only has one woman. And it's not just about divorce. It's more than that. It's about loyalty and love for the one woman that God has given to you. And it isn't just one woman at a time. It's one woman for life. Okay. It's one woman for life. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he's talking about that. When you have, you have, uh, uh, there's an app, there's a website that I have that, that comes to me every now and then. I don't know how I got on my computer, but it's there. It's called Ministry Watch. And this guy, all he does is expose all these preachers and Christian workers across the nation that have proven disloyal to their wives and are involved in pornography and child molestation and all that. It just makes you sick. 
Every single day there's someone new on that website. And that is not us. That's not us. We are one woman man. We're devoted to one wife for life. And that's what it's about. And so it, it, it's, it's, we, need to, we need to be a man of God. Well, they were interviewing Billy Graham. Billy Graham about his devotion to his wife, Ruth, and the great love that God had for them. A recent biography made by his son was a marvelous, marvelous testimony of his devotion to God. And they asked him about his wife. He says, you ever, have you ever thought about divorce, Reverend Graham? He says, no. Murder a couple of times, but never divorce. <laughs> uh, uh, we're loyal. You to love, love our wives the way Christ loved the church. Yes or no? Should be that. There should be no question. No question in your, in your wife's heart that you love her. You love her unconditionally. And that you lead your wife. That you lead your wife. We have a this movement against that. And so we need to realize, emphasize that your devotion to your wife, your love for your wife, your loyalty to your wife, strength to lead your wife in all that God has called you to do. And then loving, leading children, loving, leading fathers. We are called to father our children, to be there. And so we are reminded again, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. We have a culture today where our children rule. Even in Christian homes. In some of your homes, you don't call the shots, your kid calls the shot. Yeah, you're sitting here, yeah, amen, amen. No, it's not amen, you know. Because yeah, your, your son or your daughter says the amen. Whatever she says goes. That can't be, people. It can't be. You know, your father, you're, you're in charge of your home. You need to Father your children and lead your children. Because this is going to test, especially for elders and deacons, test in your ability to lead the church. If you can't lead the little flock of two or three kids and a wife, if you can't lead them, how in the world can you lead a flock of two or three hundred people or thirty people? And so you practice in your home and that qualifies you. And so it means for us to be there and, and to be the father figure to our children. And they guide them in the way they ought to go. And so it talks about that. And then thirdly, and I know not only our personal traits and familiar traits, but also our relational traits, how we relate to one another. The whole list talks about being above reproach when we talk about interacting with one another. Our people skills, our devotion and love for one another. And you notice he divides it in two categories. He talks about our, our relationship to God's people. And so he talks about being gentle and being hospitable and caring for those around us, loving God's people. We belong to the body of Christ, yes or no? We are called to love the body of Christ, yes or no? We are to go to, go to love, to love the church, to love the church. Problem is, gentlemen, and I, I have no reservation in saying this, that among us there are some men that do not love the church. You, the, and the church is the people. It's not the building, and it's not the it's not the program. It's the people. And so when he says we need to be those that that love the people of God and love them all, not be partial, not be prejudiced, but to love them all. 
And to be a man that loves the people of God so that people know that you love them, that you love them, that you care for them, and that, that your love for them covers a multitude of sins. And so it means that. And so these relational skills have to do with our ability. You know, we, we have Dr. Dr. Felix and, you know, brother, in our, in our, in our, among preachers we have it. They tell us like, you know, Montoya, I love to preach. I just don't like the people. <laughs> well, that's the whole, all there is is people. We have to, we're called to love the people. Yes or no? And some of us don't. Some of us don't. We just, we can walk in. I've gone to places where I've, I've walked by men that don't even greet me. I've been in a seminary, Brother Paul, where I can walk down the seminary students and they can walk right by me and don't even say a word. Not even good morning, professor, or good morning, sir, or hey, you. <laughs> or just the ovario, or just the ovario, you know, what are these things, you know? None of that. And yet they call themselves to be great men of God. They're not. They're hypocrites. You need to love the people of God and be willing to die for them. Yes or no? And then he says to love the to love the unbeliever. To love the unbeliever. To love outside. Those outside the church. To love the unbeliever. To love and desire for them for so that they can come to Christ. So your neighbors, your co-workers at work. Your unsaved family members, people you meet on the street, the waiter, the waitress, that all these people that are non-believers were called to love them, called to love them. <laughs> it's been a it's been a disaster, even with this with this masking thing, you know, wearing the mask or not wear the mask, you know. Some of us need to wear a mask. <laughs> you got it, huh? Yeah, yeah, we look like homemade sin. We need a mask. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we, we made enemies with a mask. Hmm? We have had to go into a store where the store has told the guy, just make sure that people walk in with a mask. It's his job. And then we get into a fight with him and call him names. He is an unbeliever. We're a mask. We're an iron mask. We're a paper sack. Anything to bring him to Christ. You know what I'm saying? The whole issue is we... We need a, I heard about a, a certain person who, his own neighbors, he has such a bad testimony. If the neighbors are saying something like this, when he, when he dies or he leaves, we're going to throw a party. Wow. What a sad commentary. We're called to love. And then number four, he says we have theological traits. We find those here, he's apt to teach. Or the deacon, the deacon who is also one who has, who has served well. One who has taken his theology well. He knows the word of God. Titus 1. He must be one who is able to exhort in sound doctrine and reprove those are in opposition. Holding fast to the word of truth. Uh, we as men need to know the word of God. It isn't just for pastors and preachers. The, man, the average man needs to know the word of God. And I want to strongly recommend the L.A. Bible Training School as, a, as an option for you men to be trained. Not, not just to, not, not to be elders or deep, just to be men of God, to know the Word of God. You know, I, I've taught at Biola University. I've taught at the Talbot Seminary. I've taught at the Master Seminary. 
The men that you have here teaching at the LA Bible Training School are on par. They are the best. And they, this is a great school. I encourage you to come and take a class, but get yourself trained to know the Word of God. We need that to be. And so he's talking about that. One who knows how to use the Word, able to teach and defend it. It becomes a sword. We become well at it. Many of us are good at using the remote control. We need to be good at using the Word of God. Talk to me now. Yes or no? And so it is. So it's good to see us here. And so these traits are these four broad categories. We don't want to lose the forest for the trees to be above reproach in all of these. Not just in some of them, but in all these when it comes to that. And so we are called then. We are called to be this kinds of man. Then I'd like to invite you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Chapter 9. And let me just exhort us for a few moments, or remaining moments that I have, to be above reproach. Be above reproach. Make it our ambition to be untouchable when it comes to these traits, all of these traits. Let me, uh, let me just exhort us from exhortation that Paul gives to the Corinthians in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, where he, uh, he gives his testimony about his own life, his own life. He wants to be above reproach. Verse 15, chapter 9, verse 15, he goes on to say, But I have used none of these things. I've used none of these things. I could, but I have not. And I'm, writing, I'm not writing these things so that you, it'll be done to me. It would be better for me to die than to have any of my boasts become empty. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. If I do this voluntarily, I have a reward but if against my will, I have a what? Stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so that I will not make full use of my right in the gospel. The apostle here is addressing the whole issue of the fact that he wants to, he wants to be a sincere, maintain his integrity. He said, you know what? I, I can get paid for preaching. I can get paid for preaching. And Jesus authorized that those that preach the gospel should live by the gospel. Yes or no? He said, that's my right. But you know what? I'm not doing that. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want anyone, any place, anywhere would say to me about me that I preach for money. And I would never do that. I want to be above reproach. What are you saying? I want to be above reproach. I want to cultivate sincerity in my life. And when you and I think about being above reproach, it means, gentlemen, to cultivate this sincerity, this integrity, that we become the real thing. The real thing. That means that we have a heart that's accountable to God. Can you run from God? Can you hide from God? Never. And so we need to practice accountability to God, to remain accountable to God. We answer to God now and later. And always keep that in mind that a man of God always then before, he's always living before God and accountable to God. It means to be accountable to people. Paul was making them accountable to people, especially even the unbeliever who would accuse him of merchandising the gospel, being a professional and doing it for money. He says, I do. I will not do that. 
I am accountable to people. And so many of the traits that were respectable that he speaks about, we want to then be accountable to people. We have this mood, gentlemen, that somehow we don't want to be accountable to people. We don't. So some of us don't belong to churches. Well, you know, Montoya doesn't say in the Bible that we need to be members of a church. It doesn't say a lot of things, people. They don't say you have to be a U.S. citizen either. But you are. See, because you don't want to be accountable. Accountable to the church. Accountable to people. Accountable to leaders. Accountable to those over us. Pastors and elders and those that are over us. And sometimes they're going to come and they're going to exhort us concerning these points. They're going to say to us, you know, you're, you're off the wall, brother. Or, you know, you're too... You're always fighting or you are not as honest. Your language is not what it should be. And we need to then act, not react, not get defensive. We need to then be willing to mend our ways, not leave. You know, some of you people, you get some of you guys, you're in a different church every year. You were, a, you were a church last year, you're a different church this year. You'll be another church next year. You were the Church of the Rising Sun last year, Church of the Waning Moon this year. There was all these different churches. You know why? Because you can't take correction. Nobody can put the finger in your face and tell you that you're wrong. And you don't mend your ways. Now we need to be willing to be accountable to those around us. Accountable to our own conscience. Paul would say, I am, my conscience is free. Wow, that is a powerful statement. My conscience is free. And so realize that we need to always practice what Paul is talking about. Sincerity, integrity, that we are the men that we claim to be, men of God. And then notice the Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 19, verse 19, he says, though I am free from all men, I have the right to do a lot of things. I've made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews I became a Jew so that I might win the Jews. To the those who were under the law as under the law, though not my, myself under the law, so that I might win those who were under the law. To those who are without the law as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of who? Christ, so that I may win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And gentlemen, for you and I to be above reproach, there we're, we're, we have to be a step above the normal crowd. To be above reproach means we have to be above a, a step above the crowd that's all around us. And it's to cultivate purity. I mean, absolute purity, not only intrinsic purity, but also our, our, our testimony to those on the outside. What Paul is saying here, I go, I go the extra mile. I don't just draw the line. I don't just demand my rights. I don't just operate within the sphere of my, my job description. He said, I go beyond my job description. I want to be a man that's free from, from accusation. I want to be above reproach. And that's why he addresses us to, he says, be, give no appearance of evil. No appearance of evil. We, we don't want to in any way. It matters, men. 
It matters. You know, I don't know when it was the last, uh, in the last 40 years, I, I can only recall going into a liquor store one time. One time. And that's the one down the street from our church just to say hi to the owner there when we moved in. That's it. I don't want to have any appearance of evil in any way whatsoever. You know, a honeymoon when my wife and I got married 50, 50 something years ago, we drove by, we drove by Las Vegas. I never, I didn't even reserve a room in Las Vegas. We had our first fight going through around Las Vegas. <laughs> it was 118 degrees out there. It was August. I was riding a 1967 Fastback Volkswagen. No air conditioning. Except put the windows down. You know what I'm saying? And I, we were on the outskirts, way in the outskirts. We wouldn't dare go into Sin City. Ever. And I said, would you want to stop there? He said, ah, yeah. How about stopping there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about stopping there? He said, stop any place. He said, well. I said, God, what did I marry here? You know, so, you know. It matters where, it matters what people say about you. And some of you don't care. And so you give an appearance of evil. He says you got to be yielding. Yield your preferences. Discern what are your convictions and what are your preferences. And be willing to yield your preferences and hold to your convictions. So it says be peaceable. Be yielding. We don't fight over every little molehill. We fight over the main things. Yes or no? Fight over the main things. And we as men need to do that. Be willing to discern and be, and be yielding and be peaceable. What happens to some of us here is that we get to know a little bit about Bible. We take one class at LABTS and then we go to the church and we are now, we are now Dr. MacArthur, you know. We are now, you know, I took this class in hermeneutics and I got it covered, you know. And then we stop around and we, gotta, we end up beating people up. And that seems that the more you know, the less people like you. Did you get it? For some of you. Yeah. See the... The more you know, the less they like you, which means you're not living out the things you do know. And so, be careful. Establish your boundaries. Paul had his boundaries. He says, yeah, to those under the law is under the law, but I myself not really a legalist. To those that had no law, as having no law, but under the law of Christ. So I don't do as they do. I love them where they are. You see, in other words, you established your boundaries. Men, you've got to have your boundaries. There are certain things that you just will not do. That's all there is to it. You just will not do. And we establish these boundaries for the glory of God. Enlist your wife. Have your wife be part of your protection of all these things. There are things here that if you're not careful, we'll commit them before the day's over. Got to establish your boundaries and make sure you guide by these things that are going to guard your life. Have your wife be part of that. Have your children be part of that. Have your friends be part of that. Have the church leaders be part of that. To guide you from falling prey to these things that he speaks about here. And then he says, finally, he says, in verses 24 to 27, he says, Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may, what? Win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But, verse 27, gentlemen, I discipline my body and make it my what? Slave. So that all after I have preached to others, I myself will not be what? Disqualified. Practice spiritual disciplines. Keep yourself where you need to be. To be a Above reproach means we need to be a man that's going to practice the spiritual disciplines. What Paul talks about is to put on the full armor of God and stand firm against the wiles, the schemes, the uh, machinations of the devil. To be in prayer, to be in Bible reading, to be in worship, to be involved in ministry, to be in living for God. That's what it means for us. Integrity, above reproach, means we need to strive to be that man that God would like us to be. Be a man that's bleeding the Bible. Be a man that's reading the Bible. Be a man that's worshiping God. Be a man that's through and through practicing the spiritual discipline. I buffet my body. He says, I, I make it my slave. I make it my slave. Gentlemen, we are out of control. Out of control. Obesity is our number one health problem in the, in the, in the, in the nation. Nobody, nobody sees it. But that's not our main problem in the church. It's spiritual, spiritual laziness. The fact that we are not disciplined spiritually, that's become our problems. And so we need to take our bodies. And like Paul says, flee youthful lust. Be a man that stands for truth and for God. And so to be above reproach. I would never want anyone, any place, anywhere to bring an accusation against me in any way whatsoever. And I strive for that. And you and I need to strive to do the same thing. May I remind us all. That it takes a lifetime to establish good character. But it only takes a moment to destroy it. So let's guard that. Amen. Amen. We've seen the forest. Yes. Now we're going to see the trees. For the glory of God. So Lord thank you. Thank you. Help us now as we allow you to speak to us specifically. About these matters. But Lord, we pray for all of us here. Give us great sensitivity to be men that are above reproach in these character qualities. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.